What's up and welcome to Ask Father Josh, the podcast where I get to listen to your questions, pray with them, and hopefully respond in such a way that it's helpful for you in your walk toward eternity and your walk toward becoming the particular saint that God our Father desires for you to be. Here's how the show goes. You hit me up with three to five questions per episode dealing with anything and everything from prayer, the interior life, spirituality, apologetics, evangelization, catechesis, discipleship, relationship advice, morality issues, all of the above. And then I will sit with your questions, pray with them, and try to respond in such a way that is helpful for you to grow in holiness, for you to grow in virtue. However, here's the disclaimer. I'm not perfect. Uh, and so every now and then, my advice that I give to you might not, in fact, be helpful. It might not help you to grow in virtue, to, to grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ, if that's the case. And I really want to encourage you to trash whatever it is that I say that is not good for you. But if it is good for you, though difficult, then I really want to invite you to lean into Jesus Christ in prayer more so that he can give you the grace to fulfill the demands of of discipleship you can uh, also if you're a first time listener hit me up with your own questions comments and critiques from today's show and all my shows at askfatherjosh at ascensionpress.com you can rate us and review us on itunes and other podcast formats this helps other people find out about the show and finally you can share the show on your social media pages facebook instagram twitter likewise this also helps people find out about the show if the show is a gift for you potentially it can become a gift for them as well and their walk toward eternity on today's show our topics will be what do we do whenever we drop jesus christ when we drop holy communion the blessed sacrament at mass also the devil can he know what we're thinking the devil and our thoughts and finally, um, what is the rules with regards to kneeling at mass if we go to a church that does not have any kneelers, um, it does not have any kneelers in their pews, what do we do? What's a good disciple of Jesus Christ to do in those situations? But before we get into those topics, I want to share with you a glory story. So my, my glory story today, uh, it actually happened today at Mass. One of my parishioners came up to me and she said, Father, um, I don't know if you realize this, but like, I, I believe now I can be a saint. Like Before in the past, I never thought that I could be a saint, but like now I really do believe that I can be a saint. And it's just changed just changed me that that belief that God is calling me to be to be a saint to live a life that's canonizable. So it's a simple glory story, but it it set my heart on fire to hear her say this. This is a young wife and a mother, and for her to finally realize that yeah, God's calling her too to not just think that the saints were for for the few, but to realize that that He is a calling on her life to be with Him forever in the kingdom of heaven. And the way that's already changing, the way that she thinks, speaks, and acts because of this belief. Man, it just, it pierced my heart and made me so happy. So my glorious story is is my parishioner and all my parishioners and all my listeners who are answering God's call for them to become holy, for them to not live lives of mediocrity, but to be radical disciples. Because whenever we're holy, we're happy. We're happy whenever we're holy. Uh, holiness brings us happiness. Yes, we will still suffer and we'll be persecuted and we will be criticized and judged and sick but we will be happy because authentic happiness flows from holiness, from abiding in relationship with Jesus Christ. And so my heart's just on fire right now because uh, the Lord allowed me to see the fruit, to see the fruit of the ministry and to see somebody who is answering the call that God has given to them. So that's my glory story.
All right. We're about to get into some follow-up feedback from previous episodes. But before I do that, I'm going to take a sip of my coffee. Hold on one second. Mmm. Mmm. Yes. Get in my belly. Coffee. Coffee is so good. I just saw a, a post on, on social media. I think it was on Facebook about coffee. Let me look it up real quick. I thought it was really... Really funny. My friend, Jen Settle, she's a consecrated virgin. Shout out to all the consecrated virgins sent it to me. It says, uh, the post says, do you sin more when you haven't had your coffee yet? Study finds most sin is a direct result of not having enough coffee in your system. That's from like a joke website, but I still thought it was funny. So it made me smile. So thanks, Jen, for putting that smile on my face. But uh, yeah, so follow up from previous episode comes in from Taiti. I think that's how you say your name, pronounce your name, Taiti. Tati, Tati, I like that name. But uh, she says, this dear father, Josh, I've learned about your podcast through my sister in Christ, Amber. I'm so blessed for knowing your podcast because for many years, I was wondering how the Catholic church would reach out to the world, which is constantly evolving, especially in technology. And I guess getting crazier. Then I found the podcast. I think I finished all the episodes that you posted and I can say, wow, thank you so much, father. I was moved by a Ver Maria who is a blessed and brave Catholic who has chosen chastity. We need more brave people like her to testify that the Lord is love. Thank you so much, your daughter in Christ, Tati. I think it's Tati. Uh, hit me back up with another another um, question at askforthejosh.com and let me know how to pronounce your name correctly. Uh, but yeah, praise God, a Ver is a great gift and she is a she's living proof that that chastity, though it might be difficult, brings about happiness and holiness together. Uh, so, yes, yeah, so I'm so grateful that you are accompanying us now in your walk toward eternity. And just let us know how we can help you. And uh, I'm sure you're going to be a great gift to us as well. So God bless you, my sister in Christ and my daughter in Christ. Let's be saints together. If I never meet you in, in this life on earth, then hopefully we'll meet in the kingdom of heaven. All right. Now, let's go ahead and get into today's show. Right, our first question comes in from a clumsy lover of Christ. A clumsy lover of Christ says this. Last Sunday, during communion, as I was picking up the consecrated host from my hand, I dropped it. It fell to the floor by my feet. I gasped and immediately grabbed it up and put it in my mouth. I was beyond mortified. I know part of it was embarrassment of those who may have seen me, but I couldn't believe I'd been so careless with our Lord. Why wouldn't I be more attentive during those few minutes I am receiving Holy Communion. I prayed deeply about this and I heard him chuckle and say, really, it's okay. I just can't get that sight out of my mind, seeing him, Jesus, on the floor. I pray this never, ever happens to me again. But if it does, what is the appropriate thing to do? Is there something more I should do now after making this awful blunder? Is this a sin I need to confess? Uh, your clumsy lover of Christ. So first of all, clumsy lover of Christ, um, yeah, I, I don't think, you've committed any sins, right? It was an honest accident. Uh, I, I do think you mentioned that you could have been more attentive leading up to the moment. And so um, something that I think can help us be more attentive 
to him who we're about to receive is the way that we receive Jesus in Holy Communion. It's certainly permissible to receive Jesus Christ in our hands in the United States of America. We've received that indult from the church. And so that is certainly permissible. Um, but what might help you just as a practice to be more attentive of the one you're about to receive is also by um, being open to, to the Spirit of God and potentially inviting you to receive directly on your tongue as well. Sometimes that helps us to be a little bit more attentive to the one who we're about to receive and to, to be less just kind of um, passe about, about Holy Communion. But in the case of, of you dropping Holy Communion, uh, preferably the, the priest who is administering Holy Communion um, should retrieve the Blessed Sacrament at once. Um, or the deacon, or if there's an extraordinary minister of Holy Communion who is administering the Blessed Sacrament to you at that time, um, then they should be trained to, to pick up Jesus Christ if he falls on the ground. And when they do this, they need to make sure that no visible particles are left on the floor. Um, if there are visible particles of the blessed sacrament, which is the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ. It's the true and real and substantial presence of Jesus Christ. Then they should be trained, hopefully, to know that that they ought to put a linen um, and place it over where the host fell. And then after mass, the area should be cleaned um, with, with water, certainly. Um, but I'm pretty sure they should know about this. Um, the priest and or the deacon and or the extraordinary minister of the communion if it fell on the ground, they should consume it directly. Um, and then if they're not going to consume it directly for any reason whatsoever, um, then they can certainly isolate it and put it in uh, this aquarium after mass. This aquarium is a special sink in the sacristy, which empties directly into the ground and not into the sewer system. So hopefully they'll be trained in that. And the same would apply for the precious blood. If the precious blood was ever spilt, then you get the purificator, place that precious linen on top of where the precious blood of Christ fell down after mass, clean it up, and then place that um, in the in this aquarium. Um, so that, that should help, I think, you out with what to do in the future. Um, there's a really cool book called The General Instruction of the Roman Missal, and you can look out number 280 um, to, to, to read up further into this yourself. Uh, but yeah, I would just propose that you maybe consider as a practice to help you be more attentive. Again, I'm not saying it's, it's more holier or less holier to receive in your hand or on the tongue. I'm just saying if you find that you're struggling with being attentive um, at that place in the mass, um, then, then the tongue certainly can be a potential gift to help you to be more aware. Um, and then again, if it falls on the floor, if he falls on the floor, um, then the Eucharistic minister, the priest, the deacon, or the extraordinary minister of Holy Communion ought to know what to do in that situation. Um, if you dropped him while you were walking, then certainly you could pick him up as well. But just bring it to the attention of the um, extraordinary minister to make sure that there's no particle left on the floor of our Savior, Jesus Christ, because we don't want someone else to come behind you and step on him. Right, that would be um, that would that, that would hurt. That would that would not be good. Um, so, great question. All right, second question for the show comes in from my two friends and listeners in Texas. Texas, everything is better in Texas, right? Um, I, I went to Houston recently twice. I went there for the young adult event, Catholic Catholica, but I also went there to go visit some of my parishioners um, and. Man, oh, the traffic. So I used to live in Houston back in the day when I did hospital ministry at Methodist Hospital. But I, uh, it would take me like four hours to get there back in the day. It took me like seven hours last time. Oh, man, driving. Oh, it was miserable. But, uh, but it gave me a lot of good time to catch up with people over the phone, and, and, which I'm terrible at returning phone calls. And so if I've not returned your phone call, it's not you, it's me. But uh, just pray that I'll do another long road trip and then I'll definitely be 
a lot more attentive to our friendship and to getting back to you, whoever you are. But to my two friends and listeners in Texas, you write this. Dear Father Josh, my friend and I enjoy your podcast so very much. It is my favorite to listen to during commutes or travel. And some of the things you say are so profound to me. I either have to stop the podcast and keep repeating it in my head, rewind and replay it over and over. And I usually write it down so I can meditate on the words even more. Praise God. You know, if it's good, then it's the Holy Spirit. If it's bad, it's definitely me. Uh, but yeah, praise God. I'm so happy to hear that I'm able to be in, the, in divine providence, an instrument of God's grace for you. What, what a gift for me to hear that, that feedback. Your book is also amazing, and I can't wait for the new book to be released. You are a blessing. But praise God. Yeah, praise God, indeed. Uh, the new book, I just finished it recently, and it's being edited right now. And if all goes well, it should be released early next year. Early, very, very early 20, is it 2020? Are we, what year are we in? 2019, I think? Yeah, 2020, the beginning of 2020. And um, I'm, I'm so excited about this book. I spent, I think 90% of that book that I just finished was written before the Blessed Sacrament exposed. And if it wasn't there, I wrote some of it on the plane and I wrote some of it on the beach and some of it on my couch, but 90% was before the Eucharist. And so it was just a gift to write that book because it drew me to spend so much more time with Jesus. But enough about the book. All right, you, you hear about it when it gets closer. You are a blessing. God bless you. You're a blessing too, my friends in Texas. Keep up the awesome work. Here's our question. Does the devil have access to our minds? Does he know our thoughts? As God knows our thoughts and our innermost being. We were thinking that the devil does not know our thoughts. Then a way to protect ourselves from temptation and masterful lies was to never verbalize our thoughts or feelings, to never think out loud, if you will. To keep thoughts inside so as to not allow the enemy to know our secrets. If he can access, if he can't access our thoughts, then he can't tempt us and control our minds or use our thoughts or feelings against us. How exactly does the devil tempt us and can he get into our head? Get out of my head. Yeah, so a few things to remember. The devil, Satan, and demons are not on the same playing field as God. Satan is a creature. All demons are creatures. They're fallen angels. They are not infinite like God is. I think sometimes we get into this frame of mind and we place Satan and the fallen angels on the same level as God, right? Not true. He's, he's a creature of God. A third of the angels fell from heaven. And, and what we can do is we can speculate the, the angels that fell from heaven that attack us um, are primarily, and this is all speculation because I am a speculative theologian. Um, we can speculate the angels that fell from the from the nine choirs that exist were principalities and powers. Uh, this speculation can, can be supported by scripture. In Jude chapter one, verse six, uh, the sacred author writes, the angels who did not keep to their own domain, domain comes from the Latin word principatum, uh, which is translated into the English principalities. And St. Paul also mentions in his letter to the church in Ephesus, Ephesians and Colossians, that there's a battle against principalities and powers. Um, it would be, Another speculative thing for me to say that Lucifer did not come from the principalities or powers in the choirs of angels, but Lucifer came from either the seraphim or the cherubim seraphim because they were the closest to God. And as we know, Lucifer was one of the highest angels in heaven. Um, the seraphim, though, burned with uh, charity for love of God, whereas the cherubim were concerned with divine truth. And so a lot of theologians speculate that 
Lucifer, Satan, actually was a cherubim and not a seraphim because he wanted to know more. Like, like it's, it's, it's a lot easier to fall from pride um, in our mind than it is for our love of God. But anyways, that's all speculation. On to your question. What can angels do, fallen angels do to us? Well, we know from the scriptures that, that the devil certainly tempts us. The, te- the devil tempts us in three ways. The devil tempts us first, um, as Saint, I think Gregory says, um, tempts us all by way of suggestion. And the devil was able to tempt Jesus in this mode, the way of suggestion. And, I, and we can say that with authority because we know that Jesus Christ went into the mountains uh, and he was tempted by Satan. But it was only by suggestion. The other two levels of temptation are temptation of delight and consent. Jesus Christ never gave into delight from what the devil suggested to him. And he also never consented to the devil's temptation. Whereas you and I, many of us, we not only perceive the devil's temptation via suggestion, where he he speaks his suggestions to us of discouragement, of lies, of accusation, of, of lust, of wrath, of envy, of whatever it might be. But also he really tries to tempt us to delight in that which he suggests to us. And many of us do struggle with that. We fall into that. It's not necessary. We don't have to. We can we can experience the grace of Christ to where we can also uh, keep our temptation at the level of suggestion. Uh, but that also takes a lifetime of purification and reformation through our time spent with Jesus Christ in prayer, um, and then just growing in our relationship with Him and our love for God and for the church. So, whenever the enemy um, tempts us via suggestion, um, they typically know what to suggest to us because they watch us. Right. So this is all, again, speculation from just research I've done um, and some classes I've attended on this topic. Again, I'm open to being wrong and corrected if anybody is like an angelic doctor like Thomas Aquinas. But what angels can do is they're because they're different nature than us. So they they see different than us. They they think different than us because they're different nature. We're we're humans. They're they're not humans, but they're really good at like ninety nine point nine percent of the time guessing what's going to happen in the future based on watching us and seeing what's happened to us in the past. For instance, like if they know that you've had a fight with somebody in your life, so they know that maybe your friend betrayed you, your friend betrayed your trust because they're always watching us. Like they're constantly watching us. The devil is waiting to devour us like a, a lion. Um, and so they've seen the, 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 the hurt. They've seen the pain that your friend caused you. And so what then Satan can do is, is Satan saw the way you reacted when your friend hurt you. And so the, the, the principalities and the powers will then come to you and they would tempt you via suggestion to, to dwell on that. Now, they don't know for sure if you're dwelling on that, but they're good at watching your emotions. They know your temperament. They know if you're phlegmatic, choleric, sanguine, um, or melancholic. They, they know your personality. They know if you're introvert, extrovert. They, they, they know what ticks you. And so they're really good at looking at your, your expressions, your bodily expressions, and knowing whether or not you're entertaining their thoughts that they've given to you. So they aren't actually able to enter into your thoughts, but they're pretty clear as to what you're thinking based on how you respond to their temptation, your body language, your emotions. Um, and so what they can, they can do then if they notice that you are responding, you're delighting in the temptation that they gave you to to be wrathful toward this person who offended you, to be unforgiving, to brood, then what they would do is they would then send more principalities and powers that are fallen, more demons to then turn up the volume, turn up the volume of bits. That way your brooding gets worse and worse until it becomes wrath, until you begin to to curse and and, and harbor Hate, hateful thoughts and and entertain the way the conversation could have gone and things like that. And so they're really good at inciting certain passions, um, but they're not on the same level as God. 
So the way that God knows your heart, the way that God knows your mind, the way that God knows your thoughts, um, they don't know. Um, but they they can access certain, I think, aspects of our memory based on what they've seen. Like they, they've seen things that have happened to us. And so that's how they come after us whenever they attack us. Um, and so, yeah. Uh, so, uh, yeah, if, if you real quick, if you're hearing a noise in the background, that's my coffee machine. So obviously I was drinking coffee earlier and now my coffee machine is rinsing itself out. So um, please don't be too disturbed by that noise in the background. But anyways, yeah, so um, they can't know our thoughts the way God can, but they're really good at guessing our thoughts. They're really good at um, getting it on point what our thoughts are, what's happening in our life are. Um, So yeah, I think that that was sufficient. Um, So yeah, so I wouldn't worry about the devil too much. I would I would fight the devil the same way Jesus fought the devil. And in Exodus 14, 14, God says, I will fight for you. So it's not my battle to go head to head against Satan. So what I would propose is whenever you recognize that you are experiencing temptation via suggestion to to dwell on somebody's past, what they've done to you, to dwell on something, to objectify somebody through lust, to, to whatever it might be, um, begin to just quote scripture out loud. Proclaim the word of God out loud. Get behind me, Satan. It's the word of God. Proclaim God's word out loud over and over again. That's what Father Rick Thomas taught. Father Rick Thomas was this Jesuit priest. He is, um, I think, the founder of the Lord's Ranch in New Mexico. Really beautiful community of laity out there who live in the desert. And they're just radical disciples of Jesus Christ. Um, But he taught them how to execute scripture. and And he taught them that for every demon that comes to attack us, there's a scripture, there's a word that if we proclaim it, the word of God will fight that demon for us. And so we just say that scripture out loud over and over and over again until that that demon leaves, kind of like Jesus spoke the word of God out loud in the desert. Whenever Satan tried to tempt him via suggestion, Jesus Christ spoke scripture out loud and Satan ran away. He ran away because the word of God fought for him and the word will fight for us as well. So yeah, whenever you are perceiving temptations, you're perceiving um, certain passions being aroused um, that you recognize are not healthy for you or for the body of Christ, then I just would encourage you to turn to God and let God fight for you. Okay, we're going to take a quick break, but let me know what you think. If that's helpful, if you have any follow-up questions, uh, I really enjoy questions like this because it brings me back to my summa for me to study more, and so this is really good for me. Um, but yeah, um, hit me up at askfatherjosh at ascensionpress.com with your comments, questions, and critiques on everything we've talked about thus far and also for future episodes. We're going to take a quick break, and when we get back, we're going to dive into our final question about what do we do when we go to a church that does not have kneelers? And what do we do? Okay, stay tuned. Imagine this, you're walking down the street and a Christian at a table with a bunch of pamphlets asks you, have you been saved? What would you do? Would you know how to respond? Hi, I'm Dr. Andrew Swafford and I'm co-presenter along with Jeff Cavins in Ascension's new great adventure Bible study, Romans, the Gospel of Salvation. In this study, we teach you the biblical foundations for the Catholic teaching on salvation, how to explain salvation quickly and easily to non-Christians, what St. Paul really meant by works not leading to salvation, and how we can enter more deeply into Christ. Paul's letter to the Romans has been at the center of reflection, conversion, and controversy from the very beginning, and it's widely considered his greatest work. I invite you to start a small group in your home or parish and embark on this great adventure. Romans, the Gospel of Salvation is available for pre-order right now and for purchase on September 1st, 2019. To order, visit ascensionpress.com. And we are back. Just a quick reminder, you can send me your questions at askfatherjosh at ascensionpress.com. 
Dot-com. If you're feeling fancy, you record a voice note, send it to me as well. We will play it on a future show. And please don't forget to rate us, review us on iTunes, other podcast formats, as well as share us on your social media pages, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, so that other people can find out about the show. If it is helpful for you and your relationship with Jesus Christ, potentially it could be helpful for other people as well. All right, last question comes in from Claire. Claire Bear. What's up, Claire? Claire says this. Hi, Father Josh. Recently, I moved away for college and started attending Mass at one of the local Catholic churches. I was a bit surprised when none of the congregation kneeled down during the Eucharistic prayers. In fact, the pews did not even have kneelers. I since started attending a different Catholic church nearby. This was the first first Catholic church I'd ever seen that doesn't kneel, and it made me curious about what the reason was for it. Should I avoid going to this particular church because of this? Okay, great question, Claire. Why does that church not have kneelers? I don't know. I don't have. I have no idea. Uh, it sounds a little bit weird to me. Uh, let me just go back to the general instruction of the Roman Missal. I talked about this in the very first question. But we're going to go back to the germ. That's the, the the way we call the general instruction. We call it the germ. G I R M. Germ. Germ paragraph 43 says this, the faithful should stand from the beginning of the entrance chant or while the priest approaches the altar until the end of the collect, that's the opening prayer, for the alleluia chant before the gospel, while the gospel itself is proclaimed during the profession of faith and the universal prayer and from the invitation, uh, pray brethren, before the prayer over the offerings until the end of mass, except at places indicated here below. The faithful should sit, on the other hand, during the readings before the gospel and the responsorial psalm and for the homily and during the preparation of the gifts at the offertory. And if appropriate, they may sit or kneel during the period of sacred silence after communion. So after you receive communion, you are able to sit down if that helps you to pray more or kneel down. It's up to you. In the diocese of the United States of America, they should kneel beginning after the singing or recitation of the Sanctus Sanctus, Sanctus, Sanctus Dominus Deus Sabaoth, or the Holy, 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 right? Have you said English or Latin? Holy. I didn't sing it today, so I'm trying to get my singing out right now. If you can't, if you can't realize what I'm doing, so until after the Amen of the Eucharistic prayer, except when prevented on occasion by ill health or the reasons of lack of space of the large number of people present, or for another reasonable cause. However, those who do not kneel ought to make a profound bow when the priest genuflects after the consecration. The faithful kneel after the Agnus Dei, Lamb of God. Lamb of God, you take away. The mm -mm -mm. Yeah, it's my jam. Unless the diocesan bishop determines otherwise. All right, so... I don't know what this particular diocese, the bishop of that diocese has, has said, so I'm going to be very careful with my advice to you. But I would suggest this. Whether you have kneelers or you don't have kneelers in the church that you're attending Mass, it's always wise to kneel down if you can. If you cannot kneel down because of weak or painful knees or because of knee surgery or because you're a paralysis or whatever, or because of lack of space, health reasons, et cetera, um, then certainly it's it's okay to not kneel in those situations. Like right now, like like every now and then, there's like a you know a festival mass, and it's, it's it's impossible to kneel with the way that the, the chairs and everything are are put out. 
in those situations, all right, I understand that. But in general, if you go into a church, even if they don't have kneelers, then I would I would kneel. Uh, I once heard uh, a bishop uh, re- reply when someone said that they said um, that uh, the congregation um, were wondering if they should kneel or stand or whatever, and the bishop replied um, that he didn't say anything about returning to kneelers. Um, he said that they should just kneel, right? So whether or not they have kneelers or not, we're capable of kneeling. I mean, think about this like in the Amazon. In the Amazon where they might have mass, you know, in, in really remote places near the jungle and such, those people just kneel down, right? Uh, humble ourselves before the Lord if we can. Uh, yeah, so our our bodies, this is theology of the body, our bodies help to show what we believe, like the way that we we operate. You know, so like if you're like telling me a joke that's inappropriate, you're probably going to see in my face my facial expression, my body will probably reveal to you that I'm not too happy with what you're saying, right? Um, if I find what you're saying to be funny, I'm going to reveal that in my body by laughing and by smiling, right? Um, same thing applies for like the Lord. Our bodies reveal what we believe about the Eucharist. And so if I don't believe that the Eucharist is God, then my body will show that in the way that I treat Jesus, the way that I genuflect, profoundly bow, approach the altar, all that will reveal what I really believe about Jesus Christ and the Blessed Sacrament. That's just my thoughts. Okay, so that's my thoughts on that. But I want to lead us in prayer today. And the prayer that I want to go back to is a prayer that we have prayed before on the podcast. Um, you can find it in my book, In Broken and Blessed, on page 105 and 106. It's one of my favorite prayers, and it's called the Litany of Humility. So let us pray in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. O Jesus, meek and humble of heart, hear me. From the desire of being esteemed, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being loved, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being extolled, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being honored, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being praised, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being preferred to others, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being consulted, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being approved, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being humiliated, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being despised, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of suffering rebukes, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being forgotten, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being ridiculed, Deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being wronged, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being suspected, deliver me, Jesus. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Okay, stay tuned because I am going to have a few more guests on the show in the coming weeks. Uh, I'm going to have Jeff Cavins back on the show. Uh, He is like one of my, my mentors and just somebody I look up to a lot. I'm going to have one of my fellow co-workers in the vineyard, Father Mike Schmitz, on the show. And so hit me up with your questions. What do you want us to talk about? What is on your mind for us to address so we can talk about that together with you for our sanctification? All right, God bless you. I cannot wait to continue walking with you toward Jesus Christ now and forever. See you later. (laughs) 